Support for this episode of Judaism Unbound comes from the Oshman family JCC in Palo Alto, California, whose vision is to be the architects of the Jewish future. The Oshman family JCC is an incubator for new expressions of Jewish identity. It creates innovative Jewish learning, celebrations, and arts programs that inspire personal connections to people and ideas from across the Jewish world. Learn more at www.paloaltojcc.org. This is Judaism Unbound, episode 182, Judaism on Our Own Terms. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rothberg. And today we are exploring another recently launched initiative, this time by college students. Our guests, August Kahn and Tal Frieden, are active in Judaism on Our Own Terms, or JUTE, a national movement of independent campus Jewish organizations committed to promoting student self-governance and radical inclusivity. Jude's goal is to shape the future of American Jewish discourse and community, since, as they say, the independent Jewish communities of today will foster the independent Jewish leaders of tomorrow. August Kahn is a rising senior at Pitzer College in Claremont, California, studying religious studies and gender and women's studies. August is one of the co-founders of the Judaism on Our Own Terms Network, as well as a co-founder of Nishmat at the Claremont Colleges, a Jude affiliate. Tal Frieden is a student at Brown University and a founding member of Friday Night Jews, also a Jude affiliate, which is a radically inclusive, non-hierarchical, and non-denominational Jewish community at Brown. Tal also helped found Railroad, a student organization building a world beyond prisons. August Khan, Tal Frieden, welcome to Judaism Unbound. It's great to have you. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let's start by finding out a little bit about what Judaism on our own terms is all about. Sure. So Judaism on Our Own Terms is a new group of college Jewish communities, uh, and we're built around the principle that independent Jewish communities are a really important part of the college experience. Specifically, we're interested in building Jewish communities that are not bound to the political views of donors and are able to build their own vibrant Jewish life on campus. And I think that um, one of the greatest premises of our organization, too, is that the, the people who have the most say or should have the most say in building Jewish life on campus are those who are practicing it themselves, namely the students. And just like Tal said, I think that our values come from really saying, how can we bring the experience and identity and questions revolving around Jewish students and bring that to the forefront of how we determine what our Jewish life on campus, first and foremost. Yeah, I think another thing I would just add is that the communities that Judaism on our own terms is supporting and hoping to foster are built around the principle of open and honest dialogue around the hardest issues facing the Jewish community today without litmus tests or um, without forcing anyone to leave their opinions at the door. The the organizational titles that folks choose often can tell a story in and of themselves. And so I guess, um, I don't know if either of you were involved in the, in like that name conversation, but I'm curious, what are you getting at? What are you, what are you looking to communicate with Judaism on our own terms? And maybe more directly, like, what are you responding to? Whose terms are, are other organizations operating under? So on our campus here at Brown, there has been super robust conversation in my independent Jewish community and in, in the beautiful independent Jewish community that we've built here called Friday Night Jews, FN Jews, get it? Um, we've been able to host really important conversations about things ranging from 
the divestment campaign that was going on on our campus to BDS writ large, to anti-Zionism as a Jewish practice or Jewish ideology. And those conversations just weren't possible elsewhere on campus because of the constraints placed on institutionalized Jewish college spaces. And Judaism on our own terms is about creating spaces that are able to mold to fit the needs of the Jewish community as they move through their college experience, as opposed to as the people who run the institution believe a college experience should look like. And I think the students on campus should be leading the conversation and facilitating the conversation in Jewish spaces, as opposed to donors or institutions that have other priorities. To what extent is there sort of a sharedness among the different groups that are part of Judaism on our own terms? And to what extent is there kind of, you know, to use the word independent again that you dropped before, to what extent is each independent from the others and and does each have its own set of values and identities? What we're practicing is a very much a college Judaism. It's one that reflects the ideas and identity of a campus. Meaning that for every single student who wants to get a strong college education, and I think for everyone, like a a really good college education is really rooted in taking everything apart and being willing to kind of reevaluate everything in the name of making sure you can maintain some integrity and learning more about it. Our groups are the same way. We reflect, we like are willing to totally take apart everything and put it back together if that means maintaining the integrity of our group. We're really trying to explore kind of the very boundaries of what Jewish identity can be, knowing that it'll be real and sacred for us. That means that what we do is, is very much rooted on the needs and ideals of different, stu- of different student groups. What that could mean for, for us could be very different from someone from Brown, or what that could mean for, uh, for, you know, for Worcester could be very different than for Stanford. The way, the pace and the speed and the style that we do really reflect how our student, how students are thinking, where are our values placed, and what do we need to deconstruct and reevaluate? And that results in very different flavors around every Jewish organization and different college campuses. One thing I would just like want to underline there is that I think the real commitment in Judaism on our own terms is to taking apart the things that we take for granted in college Jewish communities. So. If you look at our guidebook that we've put out, there's parts devoted to talking about Ashkenormativity and how the emphasis on uh, the Ashkenazi experience is something that we need to question and sort of tease out of what we think it means to be Jewish. Sort of being able to assess the landscape of what college Jewish experiences traditionally look like, tease out the different parts that um, we want to examine more closely, and then putting back together what we think creates a really authentic, whole, and beautiful college Jewish experience, as opposed to just taking for granted what we've been given. So we have talked to folks on this podcast before from Open Hillel, and and I think it's clear that there's an issue on college campuses about where people stand on issues relating to Israel, and that that's one of these issues that there's concern among many students that the organizations that are on campus aren't allowing the complete and full robust discussion and Judaism on their own terms, etc. I'm wondering 
if in addition to that, there are other things that other organizations that are on campus are somehow limiting the robustness of the experience intentionally or not? And and are there other issues where students are really feeling like it's necessary to create independent organizations? Or is it largely about the concerns having to do with where people are on various Israel-Palestine related issues? Even without policies regarding Israel-Palestine, there still is a deep need for an organization like Judaism on our own terms. One of the things that I think that what we try to do is really, really, really hone in on the values and needs of the of individual Jews. Um, we're not trying to sacrifice even the needs of not just donor interests, but even like a large scale organization. What we're trying to do is really examine what is at the forefront of Jewish exploration today, which I really believe will be discovered by college students today. In many ways, we're training kind of the future Jewish leaders who are, really, who are really able to kind of explore their own Jewishness through this individual lens for the first time. Many folks who enter the door in my organization, and I'm sure in a lot of others, really haven't had um, an experience of, Judy, of such a deeply both communal, traditional, non-traditional, very like uh, Judaism that forces you to reevaluate a lot. And I think that even an organization that doesn't have Israel, it's just an Israel-Palestine, like may operate in kind of the way that our Jewish institutions work as this kind of in-group and out-group. You take this for granted because this is what you receive. Um, and if, for someone who may have not received it or may have had a different Jewish experience, they're, they're, they're not going to be included in that kind of group. I mean, I even think about like, like the way that, we, that Jewish institutions talk about the future of Jewish continuity already operate on preconceived notions of who, what a Jew is or where, where can we find Jews. And I think that Judaism on our own terms is trying to push back against that and say that there are vibrant Jews who are really thinking very strongly about Jew Judaism and some of the best minds for the Jewish community may not be found in normative Jewish spaces, but instead are looking to bring something else to the table from somewhere, from somewhere else. A big part of what makes these communities different, aside from Israel-Palestine, is the commitment at least in my uh, community, to non-hierarchical organizing spaces. There's no like elections and boards and executive boards and trustees that we have to communicate with in order to make decisions. Decisions are made collectively as a group of students on an ad hoc basis. Leadership changes every week, basically. And that organizing principle and structure radically changes the way Judaism operates on campus. And it allows us to be flexible to the needs of the community every week, basically, which is really unique and avoids uh, falling into routines. And I think that the flexibility that a non-hierarchical structure allows us is being able to change to literally the needs of each week. Um, and it also means that we miss things. So sometimes we'll like sort of flop and not have a huge Hanukkah party, but maybe we'll do Hanukkah at the next Shabbat and um, fold it in in that way. So that sort of flexibility is really exciting because it means that, and it, this is like the tagline of every email we send, which is that like things happen if we make them happen, not because they're supposed to happen. And that room changes for sure. Um, I think we see a really large number of Jews from interfaith families who come to our events at higher rates. I think we definitely see unaffiliated Jews or Jews who came from families that 
um, were unaffiliated with a synagogue or Jews who didn't grow up with a ton of traditional practice coming to our Shabbat dinners and other programming. But that doesn't mean that we don't also attract camp Jews, Jews who grew up with really rich exposure to Jewish practice. Another thing I think that we're definitely working on and thinking about, uh, I mentioned Ashka normativity earlier, and I think that's something that we're still figuring out how we want to deal with on a campus that is predominantly Ashkenazi. And also, obviously, we're committed to making our spaces not just welcoming, but inclusive and, sh- and sharing ownership with Jews of color on campus. Um, Jews of color have been involved with my campus community of Friday Night Jews since its inception, but we're always working to make sure that it's a more comfortable and inclusive and shared space. Thus far in the conversation, we haven't talked about other, you know, big ticket Jewish organizations, Hillel's that are on campus, Chabad's that are on campus. Um, many, many campuses have other forms of organized Jewish life too, um, some campuses don't, by the way. Some campuses are much smaller and might not have any organized Jewish bodies in the way that we think about. But um, I, I want to name something that's different about, say, Hillel or Chabad, or maybe more accurately, what's different about religious organizations versus a lot of other student organizations on campus, which is I, I remember walking around the activities fair as a student with all the different clubs and groups, et cetera, and Almost everybody in the space was a student. But when you'd get to the religious organization's corner, there were a lot of adults, you know, many of them clergy. Um, and it was this distinct thing where for, for really good reasons, um, you know, you want to have people that have experience that can navigate their way through religious texts that can provide chaplaincy, all that stuff for very good reasons. But um, nonetheless, it was, it was different. It, it wasn't always the same vibe as when you have students leading students. And so I wanted to ask about that because what you're setting up, it, it might feel like reactive to people. It might feel like, oh, you see a bunch of organizations that aren't doing their job effectively Jewishly. And I, I want to ask if that's your frame because I actually, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like I get the sense that it's not only that there's people out there that you think are somehow doing things wrong. Like that's not really what I'm hearing from you. What I'm hearing is, you're just excited to set up this kind of Jewish life that is student-led. And I kind of wanted to ask about that. I remember when I was in the Hillel context, especially Hillel International, we would talk about what we were doing as student-driven. And that phrase always was interesting to me because it was consciously not student-led. We always said student driven. It was driven by the needs of students. It was driven by hopefully the the makeup of particular student bodies and all of those different dynamics. But I sometimes would reflect to myself, like, what if student-led might be the frame that we need where it would be students taking the reins and not only, you know, providing their input for others to then implement programming, but to just sort of do it themselves. And what I see in Judaism on our own terms is like a group of people that seem to have done that. But like, that's my perception. I want to see if that's actually in line with how you understand what you're up to. I don't know if reactionary is like a t- always a terrible thing. All good activist groups, and I'd say most student clubs started from some f- form of discomfort. Um, I would say even maybe most Jewish movements started from, or Jewish innovation started from some feeling of discomfort with what was co- currently existing. 
I don't think we're singled out in that way. We're, we're a chain in a long, long legacy of not only student organizations, but even Jewish innovations that have been started because of something that they discovered that was new, that was not being picked up by the organizations or ideas around them. I would say I would rather come to an organization that is determined by those who are actually the beneficiaries of it than those who are, who are donating to it. I also wanted to add just a little ways back, a, another example of a group of Jewish folks who may feel uncomfortable with entering a normative Jewish space that we've talked about before. I think our Orthodox Jews who have since, or the folks who have grown up in Orthodox families um, who are not currently in, uh, identify as Orthodox anymore. I know a lot of folks for whom like have a strong, deep connection to Judaism, but may feel like if they enter a normative Jewish space, they're kind of going back into what um, they're kind of making a statement of going back into like a into like what they what they receive, and are kind of looking for how do I? And I think this is reflects all Jewish students too. How do I reflect what I've received, and how do I infuse that and fold that into what I'm currently feeling today? And that's always changing, and so too should our organizations keep changing especially in college campuses where there's such a high turnover where like people keep graduating and new people keep coming in. We keep, we have to keep reevaluating what our organizations are doing. Continuity is important, but I think it should only, we should only have discussions about continuity in dialogue with how do we meet the needs of this ever changing body of people who are benefiting from these organizations. And the only way to do that is to be unafraid to fail and to constantly reevaluate and to constantly deconstruct. I believe that the future of Judaism and the past of our Judaism is really a Judaism on, on our own terms, whether it's our synagogues or our camps or our, our day schools, like all of them can reflect this idea too. Um, if not, then they will either lead to a denial of, of who's actually in the group, which will have this total dissonance with what Jewish communities are, are offering and who's actually practicing them. And I think that like, it could lead to maybe the demise of Jewish institutions if they're not willing to listen to who is actually in those spaces. I want to pick up on this question about, about donors because we've talked about it a lot. And I think it could sound naive, and I don't think that, that you are naive about it. So I want to, I want to flesh it out and, and bring up the possibilities because it's not like donors are nefarious people out there who are trying to do, you know, trying to push their their weight around with their money. There may be some people like that. But for the most part, I think what's going on is that donors give because they're concerned about a certain something. And that's what's motivating them to give. And sometimes it's coming from their own assessment of what the situation is. And sometimes it's coming from an assessment that somebody else has tried to convince them is is the reality. And it seems for some reason that particularly on campus, the motivation of the lion's share of money coming from donors is agenda driven in the sense that they're concerned that college students are not going to X, whether that X is practice Judaism in the way that we think is right or care about Israel in the way that we think is right. And it feels like if you come and say, hey, we don't want to be forced into doing or not doing things based on those restrictions, those agendas, those donors may well say, well, then the organization isn't what I was trying to support. I'm, I'm trying to support a particular agenda. And if you're saying to me that we're trying to make everything open, then I guess I just won't donate to it, not because of any meanness, but because it's not doing what I'm trying to do in the world. And so I, I guess my, my question is, what do you think 
sort of the, the future is and ought to be in terms of donors, whether that has to do with existing organizations or your organizations, you know, one possibility is to say, hey, can we pitch to donors a different view of the purpose of the college campus, a different view of how you're actually going to have the best chance of Judaism looking like you want it to look like in the future? Or is what you're advocating for and saying, like, let's try to figure out how to make a Jewish life on campus that doesn't require a lot of money and it doesn't require a lot of donors? Because I think the naive position would be to say, hey, we can expect that we're going to have the same level of financial support. We just got to get these donors to think differently about the whole business. You know, that that I I wish that that were the case, but it feels unlikely that that's going to be the case. As you said, part of the answer is asking the question, actually, do we, what do we need to have a vibrant Jewish community? Do we need our own building? Or is it okay to have Shabbat dinners in someone's living room every other week? Um, how much staff support do we need? How much um, do we need to spend on catering and things like that? All of the costs that are associated with Jewish college life are sort of taken for granted at this point. And that's one of the questions that we're putting on the table is like, what are the essential needs of a college Jewish community? So the question about donors and like what the role of donors ideally would be or could be. I once spoke at a conference of Jewish donors in Boston where like the central question was like, how do we get young Jews excited about Israel? Or how do we get young Jews excited on college campuses? And it was like right after the election in 2016. And it it was sort of absurd to me to be in a room full of people who were talking about how to get Jewish students excited period, or Jewish students excited about Israel, because to me that was entirely the wrong question. Jewish students were excited. Jewish students were talking about Israel. Jewish students were talking to each other about Jewish things all the time. But if you start with the question, how do we get them excited about the thing that we're excited about in the way that we're excited about it, that's not a conversation and that's not an open dialogue between equal partners. At that conference, there was someone who spoke from Birthright talking about how Birthright had undergone this amazing rebrand and they were able to um, re-up their numbers and really engage Jewish youth. And since then, we've seen probably the largest outrage and communal effort to actually have an honest conversation about what that organization means. So I think the framing of the question of branding and retention and attraction is one that doesn't speak to Jewish students because it's not an invitation to a conversation. I welcome donors and, uh, and folks who are willing to give money who are interested in continuing Jewish practice and discussion and com- in the conversation um, on a very robust level. And that's a, that's, a, that's a goal that I share with them. However, I think that the best way that we can continue this is say, like, if you care truly about putting your money in, in, in the name of Jewish continuity, then do it knowing that it's going to be a Judaism that may not look like yours, but it may look like ours. And then in the future, it may not be ours, but it could be our grandkids. And that's how I think that's a future of Jewish practice that, that's been existing for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're not the first people who are having this conversation. Um, but it has to be done on the, on the willingness that there are, there's a new group of folks who are having conversations that you may not be having. And for those folks, those are, Jew, those are distinctly Jewish conversations. And they may not be Jewish conversations for you. But if you're interested in the future of Judaism and that Judaism will be practiced enthusiastically and wholly by a new generation, then you have to say, okay, where I put my money, 
it may look differently than what maybe I've expected it, but at least that some of the core values I may have will still continue. On this resource front, I was part of a a small group, I wish it had been a bigger group, that was thinking about small campuses. So campuses that have, uh, not necessarily, by the way, campuses that are actually small universities. Um, Some of them are very large universities, but campuses with small Jewish populations and how to go about building Jewish life on those campuses. And I'll be frank, I think we did not do a good job. Uh, And I think that there hasn't been much of a focus on how to meet those campuses' needs as there has been on how to meet larger campuses' needs, mostly because the smaller the campus, the less likely that they have staff members who are going to be in touch with the people in like Hill International's ecosystem. Uh, and so I, on the resources front, I want to name that on Dan's question, it, it was a great question. And it's like, there are already a bunch of campuses that don't have any or very, very little donor resources. There are plenty, there are huge numbers of campuses where the only money that student organizations have for Jewish life is like the student activities grant that's given to that's like the $300 a year or whatever that's given to every student group. And they might have, there might be a professor that's the advisor that comes to Shabbat dinner once every month and a half, um, but they don't have staff in in the sense that we think of it. Um, and and if we go up even one level, they might have one staff who's part time, um, and some that are one that's full time. So I want to name that you're, what you're creating is actually an incredible resource, even for the main Jewish organizations on these smaller campuses. I'm thinking about your guidebook. I, I've never seen a document like this guidebook that was designed so thoroughly and so thoughtfully around how how I'm just going to say people, but it was four campuses, but how people can start up their own small Jewish groups. And so I want to ask, so A, what would you say to folks who are on campuses that, you know, they're not part of Judaism on our own terms, but they have a very small organization that might resemble those that are part of your group? Um, what, What advice would you give them in trying to make their organization sustainable? And on that money front, I guess, that that Dan brought up, what would you say to folks who are trying to create Jewish life without much resources already? Yeah, so um, Friday Night Jews here started as a group of friends who are like, let's make Shabbat dinner every other Friday night and let's do it in each other's apartments and let's rotate. And it was like maybe 12 or 15 people at the beginning who sort of knew each other through random connections. And from there it's grown so much it's pretty much consistently 50 people uh, every other week. Our listserv is over 100 people. So we've grown from being a really small group with no outside connections or resources or anything. So first of all, I would say that it's totally possible to start off an independent Jewish community from like a couple of friends who just want to have Shabbat dinner or whatever the practice that you end up choosing may be. My advice would be to center it around a practice that brings people together, whether it be Shabbat dinner or Havdalah or um, some other practice that you find special. And I think that on a campus with a small number of Jewish students, um, the intimacy that a ritual like that can provide is really grounding. And I would just say that the key perhaps to making an independent community work is rooting it in shared ownership and a practice that brings people together. 
So one thing that was coming up for me that I'd love to get your insight on, when you were talking earlier, what I was understanding the attitude of many elements of the Jewish community, including many donors to college students, is there's notions out there that the college campus is some kind of war zone. If the college campus is some kind of war zone, then you might expect you might you might really appreciate somebody saying, hey, we're coming to help you. You know, we're, we're here to make sure that our Jewish students are able to live their Jewish lives as they want to. That's how a lot of the fundraising framing is put out there in, in the world of fundraising for Jewish organizations and, and fundraising for campus. And first of all, I don't think it's really a war zone. Second of all, even if it was, most students don't perceive it that way. And when you come into a college campus with that sort of attitude, it's actually extremely contrary to the expectation of what college is all about, that it's a place of inquiry. It's a place in which young people are respected. And it just kind of reads as overly aggressive and wrong to this world. I'm wondering if you could try to give our listeners your sense of what it's like in college these days and what's going on on college campuses and and how do your friends perceive of some of those donors and what they're trying to to achieve on campus and kind of, is it working? What I've seen is that this deep anxiety and this fear um, or even of, of larger Jewish institutions outside of the campus, they are really afraid of like, what is like the actual intellectual power of a college campus? That it's always been for many, I mean, it's been historically, not the only one, but a primary place of like a hotbed for intellectual innovation and for rebuilding new ideas and for trying them out and seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, For this kind of what we spoke of, this kind of deconstruction, reconstruction, not capital D deconstruction, but like, yeah. Um, (laughs) And our Jewish students who are products of these organizations, of, of of, of this kind of learning, are going to take that to every place that they want to take it. And then all of a sudden we see that, okay, we're able to do it in our classroom. This is actually something that I can say that was really, really interesting in Claremont, that there was a huge amount of folks who were in Jewish studies departments who were taking classes run by religious studies on Judaism and Jewish thought and that weren't going to current Jewish institutions for, for, um, for Friday night. And it wasn't because they weren't interested in Judaism. I mean, they were taking the classes for the grade, you know, Um, it was because that they felt that there was a level of being treated with dignity and respect for their own ideas and their own thoughts um, in the classroom that they couldn't find maybe at Shabbat dinner. And there was this kind of distinction. And it felt like, okay, why is every single aspect of of our of our lives being reevaluated and re-understood in and and held um in certain places where um I think and, and but not in our Jewish and not in our Jewish spaces. And I think there's a lot of pushback. And I think that there's this kind of riff of these, there's kind of Jews for whom are willing to enter these spaces and for whom these Jewish spaces work for them. And I think that's great. But if you're not willing to take Jewish students seriously, there's going to be a lot, a deeper bed of Jew, of students who are not able to enter the space because they're not feel like that they're treated like adults that are going to find it elsewhere. And I think that there's an intellectually ravenous Jewish community in college campuses that are champing really at the bit to kind of explore Jewishness in a whole new level that can't find it in their Jewish institutions and are looking at elsewhere. I'm curious, since we, we haven't done a whole lot, um, especially on the, the Nishmat front, your group, August, um, we, 
we haven't done a whole lot of just sort of what's the what's the rhythm of your groups. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to hear. I'm curious to hear about that. I'm curious, um, Tal. I know that you've talked about Friday night dinner as sort of the rhythm. I mean, you're it's called Friday night juice, so that that helps illuminate what the central um, activity is that their group revolves around. But I'm curious to both of you um, on the Friday night juice front. What are there other things you do besides Friday night dinners? How has the structure of your group evolved over time? And August, I'm curious, really on on just a basic level, how the rhythm of Nishmat flows. And to the extent either of you are aware, um, if you can speak to some of the other organizations that are part of the network as well. The first time we started Nishmat was a group of friends and I kind of got together in the library and we wrote down, okay, we're looking, we said, we're looking for a Jewish community. We can't find it here. We all come from different places. So we kind of wrote down a list of adjectives of what we want our Jewish community to be. So we had things like, like, like mindful or Hamish or like all the, which like homey or like, like all this different stuff um, or like inclusive and all these kind of different buzzword adjectives. And then we said, okay, and we're going to have a Shabbat event with dinner on this date. And we're going to see what happens if we can put it together. And so they came and we kind of like throughout the word, we got all of these folks and what ended up kind of manifesting is we did a, we're very singing heavy and we did a lot of singing. Um, our first, our earliest events was we just kind of did um, singing nigunim, wordless melodies that come from, I think, like the Hasidic movement, which, don't have, which I think is so notable that they don't have words, but they're trying to evoke something that's beyond words, which is something that I think a lot of folks can be able to participate in um, without knowing, knowing the words. So we've done that. And we're also trying, and so basically what, our, what we do is kind of, we have a kind of a guidebook, our own kind of thing of like, if you want to start something, we're going to support you and how to build it. And so we have, and so in the same way that taught, like we don't really, like for Friday Night Jews, we don't really have like a very central planning committee. We have kind of a group of organizers who meet once a week to kind of check in and make, to see how things are going. But we operate very differently all the time. Um, we held, one of our largest events has been our Passover Seder, which we've done using the Jews for Racial and Economic Justice Haggadah. Um, and that was an opportunity not only just for to do the Haggadah, but we also wanted to create a, a really great uh, point um, kind of opportunity for Jewish study. So kind of in addition to the Magid part of our Seder, we did something that Jay Fridge did, which is creating our own Midrash around the story. And I think that really centralizes kind of what I think Nishmat, alongside other Jewish organizations in Jude, are trying to do, which is really enfold kind of our deepest experiences into the tradition that we've received. Um, someone said this to me, it's kind of, sometimes it's like stones hitting each other, but that's okay because that's how like sparks fly. And so we keep like try, we may come up against like very strong tensions in terms of like what our organizations are. Currently, we've done a lot of Kabbalat Shabbat activities and like services and davening, praying uh, at our local, at a farm on, on Pomona's campus. And then we do dinner. Um, we've also started doing a lot of study um, opportunities and we have folks who are currently creating kind of a yeshiva program, but we're trying to kind of test the waters of what a yeshiva program could look like. So we have folks studying like James Baldwin alongside Talmud, alongside like, alongside like what they've learned in like neuroscience class, like hopefully building activities that kind of represent the real character of kind of the eclectic Jewish community that we are. Um, one group that I'm actually a part of is a Muslim Jewish Solidarity Coalition on campus. And so we are starting to do a lot of work with them too. 
and trying to expand our reach beyond just our own Jewish community, but also into the greater Claremont community as well. And also um, after Pittsburgh, I think, was a really notable time for our Jewish community. Um, and we were able to host kind of a long uh, anti-Semitism workshop for the entire campus um, that, we, that Mishmat students helped organize and lead. And so I think that like we're interested in routine, but we're not super dedicated to routine. We're really, really excited to kind of pick up the pieces as they go. We published a songbook too, which has kind of not the songs you may find at like summer camp or, at, or, or like kind of what you grew up with, but we kind of found um, songs that we all learned together, like kind of our own nishmat nusach and like how we do things too. We're creating a space that's not only bringing what we've learned from our own different backgrounds together, but also learning our own Jewish ethos together as a community. And Tal, can you tell us a little bit more, um, you've mentioned some pieces, but can you tell us a little bit more about the origins of Friday Night Jews and how it looks today? Friday Night Jews really started as a bunch of friends who wanted to have Shabbat dinners in each other's apartments, potluck style. I would also say it started pretty directly in response to non-Zionist and anti-Zionist Jews feeling left out of institutional spaces on campus and wanting to sort of find community elsewhere. Since then, we pretty routinely have uh, Friday night dinner every other week. Our Friday night ritual usually looks like people arriving and schmoozing and just like chatting for a little while. And then we also um, this year started doing Nigunim, wordless melodies, at the beginning um, as part of our ritual section. But that ritual changes if the person leading that week wants to do something else. So we've also had someone read poems. We've had someone teach a prayer or a melody to a prayer. Our sort of ritual section varies continually. And then we go into the dinner section of the evening. Um, we always have a facilitator and a conversation topic. So that has ranged from Jewish role models to responding to Pittsburgh and what community safety looks like to us. Uh, some really important conversations that we've had have been about how to institute restorative justice practices into our group. And most recently, one of our really powerful conversations was about the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS. Um, and that was a really special evening because we had people in the room who were involved in our campuses, um, Students for Justice in Palestine group, as well as a former IDF soldier in the room, really openly and honestly talking about what that movement stood for, what the ideals were and what it meant on campus and to us as Jews. We've also had Havdalah or the ceremony at the end of Shabbat on Saturday night. So we've sort of become Saturday night Jews sometimes. Um, and we do holiday programming. Similarly, our Passover Seder was the biggest event we've ever had. There were over 70 people there. And we actually wrote our own Haggadah that we shared with the other members of the Judaism on our own terms movement. Um, also, we had a retreat at the beginning of the year where we sort of itemize the roles that need to happen. So there's a ritual coordinator for the week, a logistics coordinator, and someone who tries to set up communal cooking sessions so that people who don't have a kitchen can cook with other folks. And other than that, it really just happens on its own. Um, it's pretty surprising. Almost every week, someone bakes challah on their own, even though it's never coordinated. And it's just really beautiful to watch those things sort of happen naturally. 
I want to go back to some of the more philosophical descriptions that particularly you, August, were giving earlier in our conversation. And I'm thinking about what I know of these kind of early days of Hillel in the, let's say, the 60s, the 70s, when some of these actually who rabbis who became legendary rabbis like Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, the found, one of the founders of Jewish Renewal, was a Hillel director for many years at, in Winnipeg. And my understanding of those times in the history of Hillel is that there was a pretty small group of students at any given campus, that it was highly, highly intellectual, the, the experience. It was these people who were sort of really interested in exploring Judaism. And most students on campus didn't have anything to do with that. Most Jewish students on campus didn't have anything to do with that. Because at that time, Hillel's mission wasn't in a really powerful way. It might have been on paper, but it really wasn't to kind of try to maximize the number of Jews that are involved in this. And over the course of time, and I'm not sure exactly why, was it driven by donors? Was it driven by professionals who then recruited donors who who were motivated by this? But somehow Hillel's mission became more about making sure that we don't lose Jewish students to Judaism. So let's make sure that we have the maximum number of people. And that required a large staff and a building and all kinds of, of elements. And what you're describing in a way feels to me like a return to what it might have looked like back in the in the 60s and in the 70s. I guess I'm wondering, what do you think about the Jews who, for whatever reason, aren't going to find your organization, aren't going to connect with your organization? Like, is your vision that there should be just lots of organizations on campus that are student-created, that are Jewish organizations that are kind of able to meet the needs of various groups, and they might wax and wane, and, and they might come and go, and that's totally fine. And, the, and, and nobody should worry too much about making sure that every Jewish student is connected. Or is it your view that, no, you're hoping that these organizations are going to grow over time and take on more of a sense that you know, it's not that it, it would be a disaster if any given Jewish student didn't connect, but it's also a missed opportunity not to make that opportunity available. So in some sense, there's a hope that couldn't more and more Jewish students find a place to connect. And the concern, though, about that, that I'd also like you to reflect on a little is that as that process might happen, what what are now these tiny new organizations that you're building, like they could turn into institutions that then start to feel like they need money and then they need to find donors and then they have to get stuck with these donors agendas. You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, how do I donate to you? But then I'm worried that if I start donating to you, then I have an agenda and I might stop donating if I don't like what you're doing. And then you're the same kind of victim of being dependent on on donor interests. So so I'd love to know, you know, as we sort of get ready to wrap up, how you sort of reflect on where this is all going or where you hope it might go or and or what you hope others might do that are listening to this and that are inspired by what you're talking about. Well, there's one thing that I think that you're that you're saying that is really interesting, you know, like we're not the first organization that has recognized that Hillel is not the center for Jewish life on campus. Um, Chabad has already done that. And I think Chabad has already exposed in a really interesting way that while many needs are Jewish, you can't find it in the same place at the same time. We're not, I think, blazing the trail of saying that a vibrant Jewish community is a diverse Jewish community and that Hillel's mission of being the center for Jewish life on campus ha like has revealed like a lot of deep 
deeper problems. It's really tricky because at the same time, I think Hillel is doing some great work in bringing, like I think that in, um, in that having a strong presence on many different campuses all around the country and I think all around the world um, and being for many, many people the first opportunity to really be enfolded into the Jewish community. And I, I think that's like really, really important. I would say like the, I hope for the future of Judaism on our own terms is that um, we can keep being like an organization that does the same, that does the same work and does it in our own way, just like other Jewish organizations before us have done that too. I think this is something that someone said to me at Nishmat that, you know, I go to Hillel and I kind of get what I want. I know exactly like what, um, what I'm going to get. I have my dinner. I do, I sing, I sing songs. I, I feel like I'm back at home and I have this beautiful experience um, that's like very, very nostalgic and very, very warm of like going, growing up in my reform temple and doing whatever. And then they're like, then I go to Nishmat too, like the next week. And I have this other completely different experience. Like I have to reevaluate kind of like, what is my entire place in the Jewish community? And like, what is my voice? Those are two Jewish ideas, but they're very, very, very different. We're meeting a need that may not be met or even desired to be met by other Jewish organizations. And they're doing the same for us too. And I think hopefully what I'm looking for in the future is that we're going to be part of a conversation alongside different organizations that will ultimately lead to a more robust dialogue on the future of Jewishness itself. At Friday Night Jews, we had a interesting moment this year when it became clear that we sort of had become a Jewish institution on campus. And there were first years coming to our Shabbats and saying like, oh yeah, like I got to Brown and realized I could like choose between Chabad, Hillel and Friday Night Jews. And it was this moment of like, whoa, wait a second. Now we're like in the ball game or whatever. (laughs) Um, And that was a really interesting moment of being like, okay, so if we're part of this ecosystem, what is it that we're going to do that like makes us able to keep doing what we're doing and in the way that we're doing it and not become like institutionalized. And I think a huge part of that has been our leadership structure and the fact that the facilitator changes every week, the ritual coordinator changes every week, and you won't see the same person standing in the front of the room all the time. Um, And that allows every experience to be different. So I want to break the fourth wall for a second. Um, I I want to say something strange, which is that this isn't just about campus. And here's why it's breaking the fourth wall. I, I feel like if you're listening to the episode and you're thinking, oh, you're like, why are we having Judaism on our own terms on the show? It'd be like, oh, we want to talk about Jewish campus life. And that's true. Um, we are interested in talking about the dynamics of Judaism on college campuses. But I actually think that what y'all are doing is not only important in terms of what it does on campuses. I think that in certain senses, you're actually a model for something I would like to see among all age cohorts. Um, I don't know of other networks, other you know organized networks in the sense that you are with 10 or however many campuses, coast to coast, in regular touch through conferences, making guidebooks, um, all of these things. I don't know of groups that are independent groups. So obviously there's synagogues that have networks and there's youth groups and various things through movements otherwise that have Jewish networks going on. But I think that for independent-minded groups that are ultimately just people coming together and creating their own Jewish life, I don't know of networks for that purpose. 
And I think you're really paving the way for not only campus organizations to come together and do that, but people of whatever age, um, in whatever geographic context, et cetera, to think about what this would look like. So I guess what I'm asking is, what would you say, forgetting just campus for a second, to a person, any person who wants to either create their own local Jewish community of some sort or has one that's sort of an independent Jewish community but not on campus and is looking to connect with others like them around the country? That our Judaism has gone through thousands of years of challenge, of challenges, of, of, of frustrations, of anxieties, of deep, like unimaginable fear. And it is always in, in like, and in those places of deep tension and deep frustration, there's been so much beauty that has come out of it. And that's only done with like the intention of knowing that we have to recognize that our Jewishness is a product of circumstance. Like that our Jewish inheritance is one that has always been in dialogue and in conversation to various different levels with what is going on around the, around the community and around the world, both within the community and outside. Um, and those who have been able to understand and acknowledge that, the, like that history of circumstance have been able to build deeply successful, deeply robust, innovative Jewish communities that all of us, I think, benefit from today. And if you're looking to be part of this kind of Jewish organizing, one that is like experimental, like one is, that is really put, that is really trying to reach as far as we can and also maintain our integrity. That's like, I think the essence of our Jewish tradition. That is the, that like, you're not alone in being part of a long, long chain of, of, of discussions that we are kind of like a drop of water in this long river of understanding about what is the future of Judaism? What is the future of Jewish identity? And what does that mean for those who are practicing it today? Thank you both so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. And thanks, of course, to all of you out there listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we hope that you'll tune in again in the future. As a reminder, we did at the top of the episode mention Judaism on Our Own Terms has a conference coming up. You can learn more about that on their website, J-O-O-O-T. That stands for Judaism on Our Own Terms, but J-O-O-O-T dot org. Uh, and also in our show notes, there's some links where you can learn more and where you can donate to them. Uh, with that, we're going to close out this conversation by encouraging you to be in touch with us because we love hearing from listeners. And you can do that in a variety of ways. First, you can head to our Facebook page, Judaism Unbound. Second, you can go to our Twitter feed at, at Judaism Unbound. Third, you can go to our website, JudaismUnbound.com. And last but not least, last but not least, last but not least, you can head to our email accounts. Email us, Dan at JudaismUnbound.com or Lex at JudaismUnbound.com. The last request we'd like to make is that it would mean a lot to us if you are able to set aside a monetary donation for us, and you can do that on either a monthly recurring basis or a one-time gift basis at judaismunbound.com donate. So thanks so much for listening, and with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.